The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Friday, May 29th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, we're looking at the different ways the virus spreads and what measures can be taken to prevent spread in different contexts. Also, a new study shows that the coronavirus epidemics in various countries may have started later than we originally thought. Plus, the grad student who solved a problem that had stumped experts for half a century. Why Sweden celebrates Taco Friday. And a roundup of Star Wars-related media to check out this weekend. Cases are surging in Iraq, where all travel between provinces has been stopped for a second time, and several parts of Baghdad were shut down and issued with stay-at-home orders. Moscow's municipal health department has recalculated the tally of deaths in the city due to coronavirus, finding that twice as many people have died of COVID-19-related causes than originally thought. Over a hundred scientists have questioned the legitimacy of the recent study that indicated hydroxychloroquine is ineffective in treating COVID-19. In an open letter to The Lancet, the scientists asked for more information about the hospital database used in the study and called for the study to be independently validated by the World Health Organization or another institution. Senator Bob Casey of Pennsylvania has now also tested positive for coronavirus antibodies after Senator Tim Kaine announced the same earlier this week. A Tyson Foods pork processing plant in Iowa has shut down after 550 of its 2,500 employees tested positive for coronavirus. According to the Daily Yonder, counties with meat processing plants have rates of COVID-19 cases that are five times higher than other rural U.S. counties. And a group of monkeys in India broke into a medical office and stole the blood samples of four COVID-19 patients earlier this week. According to Reuters, while the samples were able to be taken again, there are concerns within the community that the virus could spread if the monkeys spill blood in the residential areas. So far, though, we have no evidence that monkeys can contract the disease themselves, although relatedly there is a fear that apes can be infected since they tend to be susceptible to human diseases. As we continue to learn more about how coronavirus spreads, it becomes increasingly evident that there is no one thing that we can do to protect ourselves. The virus spreads in a number of ways, and there are different situations that call for different solutions. Until and if we are all able to get vaccinated, we have to continue being nimble and strategic in our efforts. And remember that all efforts are about risk reduction, not absolute protection. So we've got three main ways the virus spreads. Through surfaces, although perhaps not quite as much as we previously thought, through large droplets expelled from sneezing or coughing, and from much smaller droplets expelled from talking or breathing that are so light they can potentially float around in the air for hours. 
Though the CDC and WHO have been downplaying this form of airborne transmission, a number of scientists, including Joseph Allen, director of the Healthy Buildings Program at the Harvard School of Public Health, say that's, quote, a mistake. And it's these types of tiny particles that have caused experts to increasingly emphasize the benefits of being outdoors and for cities to start reallocating space and resources for restaurants to offer more outdoor dining. Quoting Wired, Given what researchers have seen so far, the chances of infection seem higher inside than out because of how these small particles behave. The overarching assumption is that the probability of transmission is proportional to the number of virus particles floating around in the air. The more that you inhale, the more likely you are to get it, says William Ristenpart, a professor of chemical engineering at UC Davis who studies disease transmission. The room you're in right now has a roof. Turbulent diffusion goes up and can't go through the roof. It reflects off. Outdoors, it can turbulently diffuse away. Continuing from Wired, this is held true for COVID-19. In a not-peer-reviewed preprint from April, a team at the University of Hong Kong found that of 318 outbreaks in China, none have occurred outdoors. In another April preprint, government and university public health researchers in Japan assessed 110 individual cases in 11 COVID-19 clusters and found that the odds vastly favored transmission indoors. Researchers also have a growing number of indoor cluster case studies, like the Diamond Princess cruise ship, a restaurant in Guangzhou, China, where people sitting in the exhaust from an air conditioner got sick but others didn't, a call center in a Seoul skyscraper where almost everyone on one side of the office got sick but not on the other, a Washington State choir practice, and a cluster centered on a biotech conference in Boston. The risk of going to an outdoor cafe or walking on a widened car-free streets seems much less than, say, working in a meatpacking plant or going on a cruise ship vacation, end quote. A key thing to know is that the virus lives very deep down in the lungs, but in order to be transmitted, it has to go up the respiratory tract and out the mouth or nose. This is why the choir might have been such a super spreader event. Lots of deep breathing and powerful exhalations going on. Louder speakers and certain types of sounds like plosives and fricatives expel more particles. Quote, but it still takes context to turn that individual variation into a superspreading event. If small expiratory particles are a major factor, then a superspreader's kryptonite will be ventilation. Work on the airborne indoor transmission of tuberculosis in the 1950s showed that the outcome depended on the number of people who were infectious, their respiratory rates, and how well the room was ventilated, end quote. Scientists like Robin Wood, director of the Desmond Tutu HIV Foundation in Cape Town, South Africa, and an expert in the airborne transmission of tuberculosis, have been working on solutions to assess the risk of particular spaces over time by measuring carbon dioxide levels. For example, quote, anything above a thousand parts per million in an enclosed space, Wood says, would be a sign that it's time to open the windows or clear out, end quote. But there's still far more complications in how the disease spreads that we're trying to uncover. What's clear, though, is that context and mitigating factors make every situation slightly different from the one before. Even as we learn more and can target certain scenarios, it will continue to be a multi-armed process. There isn't a simple fix, but continuing to learn more about how the virus spreads will help us create and implement more effective, preventative measures for every situation.
A new study, which is awaiting peer review, has concluded that the coronavirus epidemics in various countries began later than believed. This is especially interesting in light of the trend for a while of discovering earlier and earlier confirmed cases. This study doesn't mean that those cases didn't happen or that there may not have been other early cases, just that the spread didn't happen quite so early. The study is based on computer modeling done by a team of biologists which simulated what we know about how the virus spreads and mutates, using the mutations to track the spread through a population, and in particular looking at the mutations reported early on in Washington. Quoting the New York Times, Around the world, the new study suggests the coronavirus arrived more than once without starting runaway outbreaks. In these cases, there was little or no transmission and the virus simply died out. End quote. And this finding roughly adds up with what we discussed yesterday about the possibility that the virus actually relies more on large public gatherings than we thought, and that according to findings from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, the virus would, quote, need to be introduced to a new country four separate times before securing a 50-50 chance of infecting enough people to sustain a prolonged outbreak, end quote. So if these findings are true, there's perhaps a bit of reassurance in learning more about how the virus spreads, but it's also very frustrating in knowing that more comprehensive testing, tracing, and isolating earlier on may have prevented some of the worst outbreaks. And now for some good news. There's a problem in mathematics called the Conway Knot that mathematicians have been trying to solve for about half a century. And in 2018, but just published in Annals of Mathematics earlier this year, UT Austin grad student Lisa Piccirillo solved it in a week. Now a tenure-track professor at MIT, Piccirillo heard about the Conway Knot at a conference she attended in 2018 and then worked on it in her free evenings, solving it in just a week. But backing up for a minute to explain the Conway Knot and why this is so incredible. Quoting Smithsonian Magazine, As Caroline Delbert reports for Popular Mechanics, a mathematical knot is similar to a twisting normal knot in a tangled necklace or a shoelace, for example, except both ends of the knot are connected in a circle. Knot theory, a field of topology, is the mathematical study of these kinds of snarls. Knot theory has helped enhance our understanding of the shape of DNA and the possible form of the universe, Aaron Blakemore reports for the Washington Post. The Conway Knot is a mathematical knot with 11 crossings discovered by mathematician John Horton Conway. The knot is so famous that it decorates the gates of the Isaac Newton Institute for Mathematical Sciences at Cambridge University. Its problem is a question that has persisted for decades. Is the Conway Knot a slice of a higher dimensional knot? A knot that is slice is one that can be made by slicing a knotted sphere in four-dimensional space, end quote. The main discovery Piccirillo made was that the Conway knot is not slice. Quoting again, Piccirillo figured out the problem by studying the knot's trace, a four-dimensional shape associated with each knot. Some knots are trace siblings, meaning that they have the same four-dimensional pattern. Mathematicians know that trace siblings have the same slice status, explains Erica Cleric in Quantum Magazine. Piccirillo found the trace of Conway's knot, then constructed another complicated knot, now called Piccirillo's knot, that had the same trace as Conway's knot. Because Piccirillo's knot is not slice, Conway's knot is not slice either. End quote. 
Now, I can barely grasp even the layman's explanation of this, so the fact that a young mathematician was able to solve something that stumped experts for decades is mad impressive to me. Unfortunately, John Horton Conway, who discovered the knot, passed away from coronavirus-related complications last month, but his legacy indeed lives on. TGIF, am I right? (laughs) What does TGIF even mean in quarantine times? But hey, if you want something fun to do on Fridays while you're safe at home, can I tempt you with Taco Fridays? We all know about Taco Tuesdays, but it turns out in Sweden they celebrate Taco Fridays. Since the early 1990s, there's been a tradition in Sweden called Fyrdesmiss, which I'm sure I am pronouncing impeccably, and which roughly translates to Cozy Fridays. It's a chance for family or friends to relax together in a cozy space with comfort food and snacks and usually watch TV, aka my ideal Friday evening. The typical comfort food of choice for this tradition? Tacos. Well, sort of a Tex-Mex Swedish hybrid version of tacos, quoting Mental Floss. On Taco Friday, ingredients like tortillas, ground meat, peppers, and tomatoes are laid out smorgasbord style. The spread may also include some toppings that are rarely served with tacos outside of Scandinavia, such as yogurt, cucumber, peanuts, and pineapple, end quote. Those do sound kind of weird altogether, but, you know, pineapple is crucial for a good al pastor taco, so the Swedes might know what's up. But anyways, like so many things, the tradition was at least partly formed thanks to a brand. Quoting again, In the 1990s, the Swedish potato chip company OLW introduced the slogan, Now it's cozy Friday time, into the national lexicon. Old El Paso capitalized on this concept with its own ad campaign showing Swedes how to assemble tacos at home. The Swedish spice company Santa Maria noticed the emerging trend and further popularized the idea of eating tacos on Fridays in its TV advertisements, end quote. Crucially, the tacos are something that you can buy pre-made ingredients for and can assemble in front of the TV, two things that weren't typical in Swedish households or of Swedish cuisines a few decades ago. Following that logic, offerings on Friardismiss can include other foods like chips, pizza, candy, and more, so long as it's easily consumed in front of the TV and doesn't require too much cooking. In addition to expanding the toppings to include those quintessentially Swedish options, they also now have a whole line of taco pizzas, taco burgers, taco pies, and taco soups. Quote, Anything where you could add the packaged spice mix, really, Richard Telstrom, a food historian and professor at Stockholm University, told Atlas Obscura. And thanks to this tradition, Sweden is now the highest per capita consumer of Mexican food in Europe. Apparently, eating meals together as a family isn't something Sweden has typically been great at, so this tradition was welcomed as a chance to increase quality time. And now that many of us are stuck inside with families, it could be a good time for other nations to adopt Friardismus. Although, maybe without the yogurt and cucumbers. I don't have any taco ingredients at the moment, but my big Friardismus plans include watching The Rise of Skywalker this evening. I've been on a bit of a Star Wars kick lately, probably because so much Star Wars media has been being released, what with May the 4th earlier this month, and then the big anniversaries of Revenge of the Sith and Empire Strikes Back. 
So if you are also feeling the force, here's a couple of things to check out this weekend. You might know that back in the 80s and early 90s, NPR aired three radio drama versions of the original trilogy. They featured some of the original cast, like Mark Hamill and Billy Dee Williams, at least for the first two installments, and were seriously expanded. A New Hope spans six hours, and while slightly canonical and fully authorized by George Lucas at the time, some of the additions do now contradict the canon as it's expanded today. The radio dramas, though available on archive.org in their original format, have been posted to YouTube by an editor who cut out all of the intros and outros and replaced them with original sound effects and music from the films so that you can listen to a seamless story in one go. But if you want a quicker hit, a recently graduated aspiring film editor has been making modern trailers of the original trilogy, as well as other fan edits for the newer movies and TV series. And I gotta say, it is pretty wild to watch Empire Strikes Back as it would likely be marketed today. Especially because we do have new Star Wars movies now, so it's just a real weird mind meld to watch. And something for the kids, although I'd be lying if I said I wasn't going to check it out myself, launching June 3rd on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel is a new game show called Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge. Hosted by Ahmed Best, aka Jar Jar Binks, it's basically Legend of the Hidden Temple, but updated and Star Wars themed. It looks so cool, I would have seriously lost my mind over this as a kid and begged my parents to let me be on it. I don't even know how you get to be on these game shows, but I would have figured it out. Apparently, it was originally supposed to air on Disney+, Plus, but it got moved to YouTube, which is great, because now everyone can watch it for free. Although, if you do have a Disney+, Plus subscription, here is a cool hack. Did you know that you can customize the captions on Disney+, Plus to be any font or color that you want? James Whitbrook over at io9 had fun turning the captions to Comic Sans and then taking screenshots of the ending fight scene in Revenge of the Sith. And one more Star Wars thing. Star Wars-themed pop-punk band Blue Milk Run released a brand new single for Star Wars Day at the start of the month, and it is the comforting Baby Yoda reassurance that we all need in these trying and uncertain times. Here's a quick clip. Link to listen to the whole song and to check out everything that I've mentioned is in the show notes for your weekend enjoyment. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday.